Well, we're in a, a series on uh, wine, beer, and bourbon. And um, if you haven't been here for the series, that's probably going to be a surprise to you. But um, it's a three-part series, and this is the third part of the, of the series. In the, in the first time, the first Sunday, we spent most of our time addressing the sin of drunkenness and showing uh, the dozens and dozens of Bible verses that warn about the dangers of, uh, of wine and strong drink and, uh, and how it's meant for the mature and it's uh, not to be taken lightly. And, uh, and then the second Sunday, we looked at all the words in the Old Testament and the New Testament that refer to fermented beverages. And, uh, and we saw them both in the Old and the New Testament, all the various uses. And we did all of this under the main thesis that the Bible condemns the abuse of alcohol, but not the use, um, which is called, what's that particular theological position called? Moderation. The moderationist view, right, as opposed to the prohibitionist view or the abstentionist view. And I think that we've done a, a good job of showing that the prohibitionist view is completely unbiblical. And... Um, no offense to anyone who is a prohibitionist, but uh, none of us are perfect, and, um, and uh, we all have a lot to learn, but it is simply not biblical. It is traditional, perhaps, and it is perhaps socially um, accepted Ooh. in... Amen. Wow. <laughs> affirmation. Yes. <laughs> Maybe, or him shutting me up, or you know, one of those... I'm being sensitive. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the laptop, I would imagine. <coughs> well, would that did that come from the grand piano though? Yeah. Was it a key being played on the piano? <laughs> that we'd have to change it. <laughs> to change the series up. All right. Um, yeah, so, but, so we've seen that the prohibitionist view is unbiblical, but today I want to uh, specifically tackle the abstentionist view, because the abstentionist view, this is not people who abstain. A lot of people abstain for a lot of reasons. An abstentionist is someone who, who says everyone should abstain all the time, not because it's necessarily a sin, but just because it's loving and wise, so everyone should abstain. Um, that's the abstentionist view. And so that's uh, today I want to um, uh, set my sights on that particular view. And, uh, and, but we're going to talk also, the big theme for the, for the lesson is uh, what is Christian liberty and how can we make sure that we don't abuse Christian <coughs> liberty. And so let's, um, let's start in Romans chapter 14. Is the Christian, here's our big question for the day, is the Christian obligated to alter his legitimate behavior for the sake of others. So we've established that drinking alcohol is legitimate behavior if done in moderation. But should you refuse to drink, um, should you alter your behavior uh, for the sake of others? How often should you alter your behavior? When should you alter your behavior? To what degree should you alter your behavior? For how long should you alter your behavior? Right? All of those questions. So let's think about that. Romans chapter 14. And Romans chapter 14 is the, uh, the quintessential text on this issue because it deals with um, wine specifically and uh, meat uh, for vegetarian 
vegetarianism. And it, it is addressing uh, the abstentionist position when it comes to meat and, and to wine. And uh, it is also a perfect text to go to because Paul is explaining how we are to love one another in regards to eating and drinking. So it's, uh, the, it is an absolutely perfectly relevant text. Uh, 1 Corinthians 8 through 10 is also very helpful. But it, in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, uh, there is the issue of sacrificing meat to idols, which clouds the issue a little bit. So that's, there's a little bit more nuance when we, when we start talking about not talking about just drinking wine, but pouring libations to idolatrous gods in the middle of pagan worship. That changes things, right? But, but Romans 14 is just about drinking wine and eating meat. So it's perfectly relevant for us. And so we'll start in verse 1. And, uh, and Paul says here, he says, As for the one who is weak in faith. Now, you're going to find this out in a second. But the one who is weak in faith is a person who has an overly scrupulous conscience. Their conscience bothers them about things that aren't actually wrong. And it's because of their tradition. It's because of their past. It's because of the religion that they came from, etc. If we had someone who was a Hindu and they believed their entire life that if they were to eat meat, they might be eating one of their grandparents, um, which is obviously wrong and a demonic teaching, but they have been trained that way their whole life. Their conscience uh, is just shaped in that way, and they're immature, and they're a baby Christian. We wouldn't want, if they came into our church, to, uh, we would want to follow Romans 14 in regards to that vegetarian or that vegan, okay? And so the one who is weak in faith, the one who doesn't drink, doesn't eat, abstains because of, it bothers their conscience, okay? Welcome him. So Paul is speaking to the church and he's saying, in love, you should receive them. Welcome into the church. Yeah, you don't have to be just like us. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't have to be um, uh, sophisticated in your understanding of the biblical text. Come on into church, it's fine. Now, but you don't welcome him to quarrel over opinions, which means, and, and you can see this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and in other passages, if they want to come into the church to argue and cause strife and try to uh, tyrannize everyone else's conscience, well, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about a weak Christian at that point. We're talking about a Judaizer or a troublemaker. So if they want to come in and, and, and cause contention and strife and make a big deal out of drinking or not drinking, well, then no, don't welcome them into the church. But if they want to just come in and be teachable and open and, and listen to the sermons, uh, well, welcome on in to the church. Now look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. This is, this is when they come in to start trouble. And I promise you, I've been doing this for a little while, there are these types of people. They come in with agendas. They don't have any concept of hierarchy. Uh, they believe themselves to be experts in the scriptures. Uh, and they come into churches and they cause trouble. And wine is one of the, or alcohol is one of the issues that they really use to cause a lot of contention and strife. And uh, when those people come into the church, they're not to be welcomed. They're to be um, rebuked. And if you have a strong pastoral staff who is, who is not only shepherding sheep, but standing guard as a watchman on the walls for wolves, that shepherd will use his weapons, which are his words, to say very specific hard rhetoric to that person so that they turn around and leave before causing a bunch of trouble. You understand what I mean? Um, 
which is something that we've had to do at least, I would say, seven or eight times in the course of my ministry. Um, But here it is in Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? That's to demons. Um, Whose slaves you want to be once more. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I I may have labored over you in vain. Now, you say, what is the connection here? In Romans 14, he's talking about wine drinking, meat eating, and I forgot to mention keeping certain Jewish festival days, all right? If you grew up your entire life doing Passover, and now all of a sudden you're like, you don't have to do it. Well, I just kind of want to do it. You know, I've been doing it my whole life. That's fine, do it. That's fine, do it. But if you want to come into the church and be like, everybody ought to be doing this, and everybody ought to not be eating meat, and everybody ought to not be drinking, you know, and, and starting quarrels and starting fights, no, not received, not welcomed. And even more importantly, and this is specifically for Galatians chapter 4, these people were, does anyone know the name of the troublemakers in Galatians? The Judaizers. They were teaching that certain abstinence was salvific and necessary for sanctification. And they were teaching that keeping the Jewish festivals and circumcision, all sorts of things, were necessary for your sanctification, for salvation. Paul absolutely rebukes that. That's what I commonly call the gospel of abstaining, the gospel of abstinence. If someone believes or preaches the gospel of abstinence, they're to be rejected and they're to be uh, corrected and rebuked. And if there's not repentance, they're to be church discipline. But if someone just believes abstaining because they kind of feel bad about it in their own conscience, that's a weak Christian. They're confused. They're immature. That's fine. Come on into church. No big deal. Right? All right. So we have to distinguish between those who preach the gospel of abstinence and those who are just confused intellectually or their conscience is just not mature, right? which is not a sin. All right? um, Matthew chapter 15, verse 2. Notice how Jesus deals with Judaizers who make up rules and try to force them on everybody else. Uh, Matthew 15, verse 2. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. What did Jesus publicly refuse to obey? The tradition of the elders, which would be the status quo of church world. It would be what is the social norms and the, and the etiquette of the church world that everyone accepts. And Jesus went out of his way to publicly break those social norms, to blaspheme the gods, the false gods. And, uh, and he did that because he uh, was an evangelist, because he wanted to preach the gospel, and he wanted people to be, be convicted with the actual law, not man-made law, because he wanted Jesus to be Lord, not men to be Lord. And so he publicly broke um, the false traditions of the Judaizers and the Pharisees of his day. And I definitely think that uh, we have to do that too. We have to do that as well. But that's not the same thing as dealing with weak, immature, intellectually confused Christians. Not the same thing. Okay? Let's move on to verse 2 of chapter 14. So receive them, he says in verse 1. Now, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. See? Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. 
And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. So we see here how to love each other in the church. We see how the strong and the weak are to relate to one another. <laughs> that truly is strange. Maybe just mute that, that, uh, that computer. Every time you say something, the Lord agrees with it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Now I'm just like, do what? I think it's the, the mute that computer. I think it'll be all right. So let's not get distracted by that if we can. Um, now we can see here how we are to love one another. And we can also see the potential, the, temp, the typical temptations for the two sides. All right. So let's start by dealing with the strong. All right. How do the strong, that means the people who eat meat and drink alcohol, and their consciences aren't bothered by it. We're not talking about Judaizers in any, we're done talking about Judaizers, Pharisees, the tradition of the elders and troublemakers. Now we're just talking about strong and weak Christians trying to get along in the same church. It's not a gospel threat. This is just church life. Okay. Not a gospel threat, just church life. Um, How do the people who think you can drink, how are they to love the weak who feel bad, their conscience bothers them if they drink? You're not supposed to do what? Don't despise them, which would include things like don't mock them, don't ridicule them, right? Don't uh, um, try to shame them or embarrass them. <coughs> and later he's going to say, certainly don't try to pressure them into breaking their, their conscience. Because though it's not a sin, if they think it's a sin, you're going to see it is a sin. Because sin is not out here in liquids, sin is in here. Right, so don't despise them. Hey, they're they're immature. They're intellectually confused. That's okay. You know, you're you're super bright and smart, and you have all your theology in a, in a row. Great. Don't be an arrogant jerk about it. Just let them be. You understand what I mean? All right. I think that that's good. But then now, how does the how are the weak supposed to love the strong? What are they? What is their? What are they to not do? The weak who abstain. Because they think it's wrong in their conscience, what are they not supposed to do? They're not supposed to pass judgment. Now, we're going to see in a second why they don't pass judgment. It's because they're not the judge. They're a weak baby believer whose conscience is not yet fully formed by the Bible. They don't need to go around judging people, right? They should, that's not their jurisdiction. And they shouldn't be setting themselves up as the judge. And they shouldn't be tisking everyone. Um, and trying to force their weak conscience on, on other people, right? And so what is the temptation, though? What is the typical temptation for someone who drinks? The typical temptation is to look down on someone who feels guilty about it, you know? <laughs> and the typical temptation of someone who feels guilty about it is to judge and, and to condemn, saying you're being a bad person, you're being naughty. Um, and we can't do either of those things. Don't do either of those things. The law of love mandates that we don't do those two things. <clears throat> and why does, why does the, he says, why does the weak Christian, why are they not allowed to pass judgment? Well, it's because God has welcomed him and he, God's okay with it. <clears throat> and you don't get to make up the rules, right? Moving on to verse four. Now he speaks to the, to the weak Christian. He goes in a little bit on the weak Christians. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Like, who are you? Are you going around judging everybody? For, for drinking and condemning them. 
Uh, it is before his own master that he stands or falls. You're not his boss, is basically. You're not the lord of his conscience. Um, you're not the, uh, the, the rule maker when it comes to food and drink. You know, get off of it. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So he's, he continues here in the week, and he basically says, don't judge, don't censure them, don't go around finding fault, don't go around criticizing them for drinking. Don't do that, right? And, um, and that's basically what Christian liberty is, is that you answer to Jesus, ultimately. He is the one who makes the rules. He is Lord over your conscience. And people who are bothered by it are not supposed to say you're being bad and finding fault with you. And if they do, it's because they're out of their jurisdiction and they're being proud and trying to replace Jesus, as the Lord over your conscience. That's a really bad thing to do. Now he goes on in verse 5, and he, he begins to apply this in other ways. He says, One person esteems one day is better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. This is not talking about the Sabbath, by the way. Uh, this is talking about the Jewish festivals that were fulfilled in Christ, and you no longer had to do them after Jesus was dead, buried, and uh, raised again. Make sense? But some people still felt like they needed to do it because their conscience was weak. Okay, it's fine. You want to do that? You want to do Passover? Do Passover. I don't want to do Passover. Don't do Passover. All right? It's fine. Jesus, the Lamb has died to take away the sins of the world once and for all. But if you still want to do it, you love it. It was a good tradition. You grew up with it. That's how you always did things. Fine. It's not, hurt. It's not a threat to the gospel. Right? The one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. He's basically saying Jesus is Lord. And you know why he's Lord? Because he died for us. (laughs) You didn't die for us. He died for us. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? See, he's, he's, he's hammering the weak Christians now and, and their proclivity to criticize everyone, find fault all the time. Or you, why do you despise your brother? Now he's criticizing the strong for their proclivities to being uh, uh, too big for their britches. Right? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself, of himself to God. Well, basically, Jesus is Lord, right? Um, uh, love one another. Um, don't pass judgment. Don't put yourself up as the, as, the, um, as the judge, right? That's always a good rule of thumb to not don the robes that belong to Jesus and start rendering judgments on people, especially when you don't know, right? And by the way, I would just encourage you... Especially don't do that of people you don't know at all that live across the world from you, all right? Or only live across the internet from you. Like, you don't, don't judge people. You don't know, you know, right? I think that's the most loving thing. So just as a summary, um, our church has been criticized and judged and censured and mocked and fault-founded by people for years about drinking, they're weak Christians and they're sinning. They're sinning with their bad attitudes, tisk-tisking everyone all the time. And they're trying to use mockery and judgmentalism to 
make us submit to the tradition of the elders. And we will not. We will not. I will not. Um, because what they're doing is wrong. It's clearly wrong. Um, drinking is not a sin. Fault finding and criticizing and that of people who are drinking, that is a sin. That actually is the sin. And when the weaker brothers tyrannize the consciences of the church, it is a very, very bad thing that it is and it leads to even worse things. It's a, it's a really bad thing, right? Because they become, they, they, be, they peer pressure and religious pressure and tradition and social norms and what is appropriate to do and say becomes the Lord of everyone's conscience. And if, if you get it, if you, if you submit to that in one area, who's to say you won't begin to submit to it in another area? You understand what I mean? That's why you have to make sure you don't allow someone else to become the Lord of your conscience. Because if you kowtow to them and, and you start to follow them and, and their social pressure of you, and their marginalizing of you and saying bad things about you makes you submit to that. What are you now? You're a slave to that. But you're, but you're also, you're not living in Christian liberty. You're not submitting to Jesus. You're living in the, for the praises of men. Which is exactly what the Pharisees did. They were whitewashed tombs. You know why? Because they were whitewashed tombs. And the way they were whitewashed tombs is that they followed all the socially acceptable rules so that they would get the praises of men. Right? And so that more people would go to their churches. And, and, and for whatever motives they had. All right? Didn't want to lose all the donors. You can't do that. Because today it might be made up rule A. Tomorrow it might be made up rule B. Hey, you, you shouldn't speak that way about the LGBT plus community. That's unloving. Oh, no, 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 no. You see, you start submitting to that. They're gonna, they will silence your mouth and they will silence the whole community. And the community will shift left with the spirit of the age to the world. That's what will happen. That's why it's very important uh, for leaders not to let people lord uh, anything that's fake over people's consciences. All right? So, <clears throat> but what about the stumbling block? All right? Say, so, yeah, but, you know, what about that stumbling block thing? Have you all heard that before? You shouldn't drink because you'll be a stumbling block. You'll be a stumbling block. All right. So what about that, though? What about that? All right. Let's look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Awesome. Amen. But rather, now hear what he says. Stop condemning each other. Stop tisking and criticizing and fault finding. Um, receive one another. Right. You're not Jesus. But decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. So here, now here is he, he is addressing the strong Christians, right? And we know that because the ones who are prone to stumble are the weak ones. Their consciences are confused and immature, and they're the ones who are in danger of stumbling, okay? Now, a stumbling block is proskoma in Greek, and it's something that leads someone into sin and into their destruction and their demise, that's what a stumbling block is. When the Jews fell on the stumbling block of Jesus, where did they go? To hell, right? Um, so to put a stumbling block in front of someone is not to offend them. You understand what I mean? It's not to upset them or irritate them or annoy them, right? Or trigger them or troll them. 
to put a stumbling block in front of someone is to do something that's going to cause them to apostatize, fall into grievous error, and fall away from the faith and go to hell. That's what a stumbling block is. You see what I mean? And uh, then it says as well, it says don't, you don't want to put a stumbling block, and you also don't want to put a hindrance, which can be translated obstacle. And that's scandalon, and it's something that causes someone's ruin. Right? It's a scandal. It's scandalized. It causes their ruin. Okay? So it's, this is not complicated. You have the freedom to drink and to eat meat, by the way. We don't have any vegans as far as I know. Um, but maybe, you know, maybe some of the, these, uh, these left-leaning liberal uh, environmentalists who believe that uh, the beef industry is killing the ozone, maybe they get saved and they're like, we shouldn't be doing this, the beef thing, right? It's putting, you know, third world countries out of, out of, uh, out of uh, in famine and killing the ozone. There's people that believe those things religiously, you know, so maybe, maybe we get that one day. <laughs> but right now it's mostly going to be the alcohol thing. Um, don't do anything that would seduce them into sin. That's what it means. Don't be a seductress, right? Don't be a tempter. That's all that it means, right? So you say, how can I tempt him to sin when it's not even a sin? See, that's the obvious question, right? So Paul goes in verse 14. He says, I know, he's, a str- he's strong. He, know- he knows the rules here. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus. So this is not his opinion, This is what Jesus taught him directly. Nothing is unclean in itself. So Jesus taught him very clearly, sin is not in meat. Sin is not in alcohol, right? Sin is not in keeping festivals or not keeping festivals. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. Now, how can that be, right? Well, because sin is not out here. Sin is in the heart. And so if a weak Christian who, who is like, you know, Jesus doesn't want me to do this and it makes me feel guilty. Um, and you try to pressure them or do anything. And I'm not there. Maybe there's, we could think of things that might do that or might not do that. And I, he doesn't say precisely what that would be. He doesn't say precisely, this is what causes stumbling blocks. This is not what causes stumbling blocks. He doesn't say that precisely. You just have to make sure whatever you're doing, you're not seducing them to go against their conscience. You see what I mean? Because if they go against their conscience, then they are in sin. And when you continuously go against your conscience in sin, that puts you on a path to apostasy and falling away. You understand what I mean? So if, if it doesn't matter, he's going to go on. To, well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So look at verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, that means his conscience is grieved, right? um, And it doesn't mean in the context that there's a person sitting across the room from you at Texas Roadhouse and they see you eating meat and they're offended. How dare you? That's not what it means, okay? Um, What it means in the context is if what you are eating is seducing another person to go against their conscience, you know what I mean? And I don't know exactly how that would work. Maybe, maybe you have a party and you, everyone is served the meat and that person, you put it in front of them as well. 
and, right? and, and everyone's eating it. And you're like, hey, man, you, know, you, know, you don't love us? You don't want to be a, party, a part of our party? Right? That would be seducing them to go against their conscience. That would be clearly wrong. Right? Yeah, maybe you should have other options for them. Try to be generous and, and, and think, about, think about that particular situation. Now, remember, we're not talking about the Pharisees sitting there judging everyone, trying to make everyone bow to his traditions. We're talking about an immature baby Christian. Okay? <clears throat> so if, if his conscience is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. You're, you're, like, you're, you know, you're not being loving toward them or, or, or hospitable. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So now listen, it's not giving them an uneasy feeling. It's destroying them. It's a very destroy, scandalon, stumbling block. It's the, it, he's not talking about giving someone like they are socially, it's socially awkward for them because they weren't raised that way. That's not what he means. Have y'all ever had, had things that were socially awkward? Right? You had to go to someone's house and I don't know. You had to take your shoes off and walk through barefoot because they're, you know, they did that growing up. That's kind of weird, you know. But I'm not like it's not going to destroy me. It's just socially awkward. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about behavior that would lead someone into apostasy. Don't do that to people, right? All right. Hopefully, y'all y'all understand that. And if you do that, uh, verse sixteen. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Basically, if you do that. If you are uh, causing people to apostatize, you're going to get a bad reputation. And all that you do is going to get a bad reputation, right? <laughs> Verse 17, <clears throat> for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Right, there's more to this than just food and drink. I mean, you can chill out with that. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Amen. So basically what he is saying to the stronger Christians is you have the you have Christian liberty to eat meat, to drink, celebrate festivals, don't celebrate festivals. But you need to if you're going to be a stronger Christian, you're going to have this freedom. You also need to be mature and wise and loving. And just think about it. You know, don't be uh, an idiot with your liberty. You know, don't don't. Be an idiot with your liberty, and especially, specifically, be very careful and wise. Not when you're around Pharisees, Judaizers, false teachers, and religious uh, jerks, but when you're around immature baby believers who just come to your church and you're in your community, just be very careful about that. You don't want them to sin against their conscience. Make sense? All right. And I don't, I, I don't know if we've had that or not. I, I'm, I imagine we have. But I, I bet you if you had a church in a dry county, I bet you'd, bet, yeah, you'd probably have a lot of people that their conscience would be bothered by drinking. And um, so you just, we just need to think about that. Amen? All right. Um, so just to summarize our series, we've got three minutes left. Um, oh, I did want to say this. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22. I think this is great. This is the Apostle Paul's evangelistic strategy. Look what he says. He says, To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I think that's really cool. He's, he's basically saying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to win people's hearts and minds. I'm trying to persuade them. And so if I go to a, uh, uh, an event or a party <clears throat> where... Um, 
like or a culture, right? If you're a missionary to a culture, to a dry county, perhaps I'm not sure. Um, he he doesn't drink around them, so that he can win them to Jesus and and teach them, so that they can actually get a, a good conscience and enjoy the good gifts of God with maturity. So he he get, he he's. he's and I'm not saying we know precisely how to do this or whatnot. I'm just trying to show you that you do have Christian liberty, but you want to be strategic with it. You want to be real wise with it and savvy because you want to win people, right? And you want to run off the wolves and you don't want to cause stumbling blocks. So that takes maturity and wisdom and, and practice. So um, we all need to be working on that all the time. Make sense? So real quick, the church is often a mixed body of weak and strong. Christians have obligations toward one another. Christ is the actual Lord. We must live according to our convictions and our conscience. Don't, go, don't fight conscience. But be, sit uh, humbly and be teachable before the Word of God so that your conscience can be trained to be biblical. But, it, but if you feel guilty about something, don't do it. You understand what I mean? <laughs> we must not be judgmental. And we must be responsible with our liberty and not seduce and entice people into sin. And uh, our relationships should be loving and peaceful, and we all want to grow in grace and knowledge. Amen? Amen. All right, y'all have a great Lord's Day.